Well, hello everyone. Good evening and welcome to our podcast on lifestyle factors and dementia risk in minority ethnic communities. Thank you so much for accepting our invitation to be part of this evening's podcast. My name is Dr. Sophia Amenya. I am a registered nutritionist and a research fellow here at Bournemouth University. I lead on this research that is investigating the link between lifestyle factors and dementia risk in minority ethnic communities. And I'll be your host for this evening. So while in research has shown that individuals from minority ethnic communities, in particular African, South Asian, and Caribbean heritage, are at a higher risk and die earlier from dementia, there are many barriers which prevent them from getting early diagnosis and a lack of information on ways that we can prevent and treat dementia in people from our community. There's also very few policies that support us to access services and a lot of stigmatization in our community. So today, the aim of our podcast will be to explore you know, the barriers and facilitators in our community, different perceptions around dementia. And you as community members, we really, really value your opinion and your lived experience. And that is what we are hoping to um, share today. So to make a start, we can just go around the room and if each of you can introduce yourself, that would be great. So maybe we can start with Fariha. Uh, hello everyone, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm Fariha Jay and I'm a registered dietitian and I specialize in South Asian diets, hence here. Um, Theo? Hi, I'm Theo Akujidu, I'm an associate professor here at Walmart University um, and I'm a diagnostic radiographer and I'm happy to be here. Hello, hi, I'm Nadia Bano and I work in um, digital marketing for a life science company called Carl Zeiss. So yeah, I'm really happy to be here and to be a part of this discussion this evening. Yes, thank you so much. And just to add that um, we are all from minority ethnic communities. So Fariha, you are from the South Asian background, yes. And Theo is from African, Nadia. I have... Gardenian heritage, so from West Africa. Thank you. So this will just be an informal discussion and please feel free to chip in as and when. Um, But I'll start with our our community members anyway. From your experience, what do we know about dementia and how is it perceived in the community? So I'll speak because I, I usually have clients and I do talks with community members, so I'll speak on their perspective. It's a mixed bag, to be honest. Some of them don't know what is dementia at all. Like, even if I say the name, they won't know. On the other hand, there is this other bunch of people who know what it is, but again, when I say no, that's all, that can also be quite vague. They know that it's something to do with memory loss, it's something to do with cognition, but that's it. Uh, what was the second question? How, was How it, is sorry? it perceived in our community? So as long as perception is concerned, uh, again, there are different sides to it. One is they, they, they're happy to take it, okay, so my, my dad, my mom, or I've got dementia, yes, I'd go forward with it. The, the most of the people, if they don't know it, 
where did the perception come from? So they, they don't even know. And most of the time they think that it is related to old age. So I'm my dad is elderly. Oh, he's forgetting. This is his memory. Um, so they don't even bother, you know. So we have to go to the doctor. We have to speak to his GP. Oh, it's just natural. He's aging. My mom is aging. Oh, I'm... <laughs> I'm forgetting things. Oh, it's just, it's very normal. It take, it's taken as very normal. Then there's another side to it, which is the stigma associated with it. Someone forgetting, someone's, because the behavior also changes. When you, you don't remember your memory, you stop. Altogether, the, it's a different person. Mm -hmm. So they think that this person has gone mad. Yeah. This, is, this person is crazy. And obviously, and mental health, they, they associate it with mental health issues. So, and, and I'm not sure about the, the African communities and all, but among the South Asians, someone who's got mental health problems, they're stigmatized altogether. That's, he's crazy. She's crazy. She's not part of the community. So, uh, so again, there's so many sides to it, as I said. Yeah. How about you, Theo? What, what do you think are the perceptions from your experience? Yeah, so, I mean, the, the, the perception when it comes to dementia and I mean other related or associated mental health issues and within you know would be more sort of like considered um, by a group you know as more spiritual mm. so there will be you know that spiritual element or you know association to to that um, as, as either a cause or as you know involved within the whole equation of you know um, and and instead of seeking help or medical attention, they would rather you know begin to resort or begin to think about you know the spiritual you know and opinions to to it all. So um, yeah, it, it is there, but I think this is kind of like one of the key um, you know thoughts or perceptions about it within you know the community. Yeah, that's very insightful. Well, what do you think, Nadia? Yeah, I could definitely relate to both what Faria and Theo have actually been talking about. I think in terms of the actual understanding of what dementia is, I feel like a lot of people sort of have, or at least in my experience, have a very vague, and myself included, <laughs> a very vague and very general idea, but no real understanding of what it is what it even really looks like in practice, um, you know, the kind of things to look out for. In fact, like, no real clue. Like you said before, it's sort of associated with forgetfulness or... And then it's sort of left at that. Um, so there's not real a real deep understanding, I would say, um, as far as I've experienced. And I would definitely relate to what Theo said as well, that sometimes it can be attributed to totally different causes and people... Um, are reluctant to maybe dig into it and try to understand a little bit just for the fear of the stigma that comes along with it um, as Farida touched on as well that sort of um, perception that anyone or people with mental health issues maybe are stereotyped as you know that phrase crazy or whatever and that's very taboo um, and very hidden and unspoken and I think that's maybe one of the bigger issues that I've sort of maybe seen from a very minor perspective but it's just the not even being willing to talk about it it's sort of kept as a like a family secret or something shameful 
um, instead of trying to explore it and understand a bit more and figure out, you know, how can we support this family member, this friend, whoever, whoever it is in the community. Um, yeah. I would like to add something what Nadia said. The, another thing is, with health conditions, they can't see it. Mm. And um, again, I'll speak for South Asian communities. If you can't see it, you don't have it. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think I, I would also touch on one thing that Nadia mentioned. So I don't think that um, statistics relating to the prevalence of you know, mm. dementia across you know, minority communities is actually accurate at all because most of it is kept as family you know secrets mm -hmm. that's that's one so this that statistics is lost the other form that you know we lose that statistic is you know people within our community wouldn't even go to seek health care so of course they would not be captured into the you know databases mm -hmm. so that you know the records are kept so yeah because of that stigmatization because of that taboo surrounding it it wouldn't really you know, be captured accurately. Now, I'm just, again, having said that, I'm just thinking, how do we get, <laughs> you know, the statistics <laughs> then? Exactly. Because without, uh, we, without actually getting those numbers, the true picture cannot be seen. And if mm -hmm. the true picture is not seen, then it's not a problem. The, the, the problem will not be truly represented, you know. Exactly. Well, thank you all so much. This is... um. Really, really helpful and coming from valued members of our community, I think it's um, exceptional information from the horse's own mouth. <laughs> and so I think we have raised a big, you know, we have uh, um, unveiled a really critical problem. And also just to add that with respect to family secrets, we know how important in our culture, especially for younger people getting married and all of that, that you don't have any history of mental illness or different things in your family. So if we people perceive it as a mental illness, definitely they'll put a lid on it, but then it has an impact on whether they receive diagnosis, whether the um, family has support to care for it, or whether we even acknowledge it as a disease or a condition that needs um, to be uh, treated. And dementia in itself, it's an umbrella term for different diseases that affect the brain. And so it can um, present itself in different, many different ways. And for people from our community, from South Asian and African and Caribbean her heritage, the most common form of dementia is actually vascular dementia. So it's not Alzheimer's. Is vascular dementia, and that's because of our um, heightened risk of diabetes and high blood pressure. But it's something that we don't know. So we just think, oh, they forget, yes. or, you know, they are behaving weird, yeah. you, you know. So I think this really highlights that we need to start these difficult conversations in our community. So moving on to uh, the second bit, I wanted to find out what, uh, what do we know, well, this is me finding out what we know, about the link between lifestyle factors and dementia risk. Because I think this is a very important question. When we talk about high blood pressure, immediately, whenever I say high blood pressure to you, things might come into your mind, for example, stress, salt consumption, if I say diabetes, 
My, you might think, oh, sugar. <laughs> but if I say dementia, what comes to your mind around lifestyle factors? Okay, I will start. <laughs> Again, on, with perspective to the community members, they will never, ever, no one can ever think that dementia has anything to do with lifestyle. And specifically when we're talking about the uh, Caribbean, African, and South Asian communities, as you mentioned, Sophia, now that it is more of the vascular dementia, and it is it is all related to the circulation in the body. The blood flow stops going to the brain. And why is that happening? That is because of people are overweight, weight around the waist, uh, diabetes, blood pressure. But surely no one can make that link. So when they, they completely do do different things. If we're talking about diabetes, they will think about they will, they will think about heart attack. Or they will, as you said, they will think about sugar. But never ever will they make that link. And here I would like to say that perhaps I always think that there is a lot of, uh, a lot is being done on diabetes, a lot of is being done on heart health, and perhaps somehow we make that link. So whenever someone is talking about diabetes, even I would say to Diabetes UK, for example, all these big organizations, for example, whenever they're talking about diabetes, why don't they conclude it with this can happen as well? I, I, I don't see that. In, in most of their websites. And uh, they talk about the risk factors of diabetes. But then who is talking about the risk factors for dementia? So they are so interlinked together. We, I think this is a gap there as far exactly. as the, the from the organization's perspective as well. Yeah. yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. I definitely piggyback yeah. on that because this is news to me that vascular <laughs> dementia is actually more prevalent. So yeah. exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Not a lot of people are actually aware mm -hmm. of that link at all. And yeah, that's definitely a and sort of, like you say, a low-hanging fruit that yes. maybe we could capitalise on because it's not taboo to yeah. talk about diabetes no. in our communities, yeah. exactly. isn't it? It's, and Nadia, I think yeah. that this, this way we can we can work towards prevention as well. Because yeah. yeah. it's more about prevention, isn't mm. it? Yeah. So if we deal on the, okay, we're talking about diabetes today, and then we just merge in all these things within that. And I think I think it would it would also help with um, as a form of destigmatization as well yeah. because yeah. no one would even stigmatize someone for you know having diabetes mm -hmm. or heart attack or whatever yeah. but why dementia you yeah. know yeah. and and it's you know yeah. so I think yeah it could be a way that you know yeah towards destigmatizing you know mm -hmm. the the condition yeah. I would say. Actually, in a recent publication in The Lancet, where they updated the risk factors for, um, for dementia, a few are, a lot, not a few, a lot are actually not related to, um, we have the risk factors that are aging related, but things like hearing loss, things like um, pollution, alcohol consumption, you know, lack of physical activity. Mm. They are all risk factors for dementia. And if we encourage people, I, from my perspective, I think if we encourage people to live healthier lives, you know, eat better, um, keep physically active, to prevent heart disease, they will be preventing heart disease. They will be preventing different brain conditions, including dementia. They will be preventing diabetes as well. But there isn't... You know, it doesn't click for us. We don't make that link that um, our brain health is, is as important as our heart health or, you know. 
And also probably because going back to what Fari has said earlier about the physicality of it, because we know that when you get a heart attack, you die instantly. <laughs> There's no recovery from that. Or yeah. when you get a stroke, yeah. it's very visible. On the other hand, if you get diabetes, your legs can be amputated. Yeah, yeah. So there's more incentive to want to do something to mm. prevent it. However, for dementia, we, we are not even acknowledging it. We are not even seeing it. So how then do we get people to think about their brain health? That's my next question. So I think um, that health interventions based on health-promoting behaviors should be the basis. And then when we are talking about health-promoting behaviors, then all conditions come within it. All mm. come within that, not all, but obviously the ones which we are talking about. So they will come within that. So I think the uh, starting backwards, so let's talk about health. Today's talk, like for example, if I'm doing a talk, because I do these talks quite a bit, if I'm doing a talk rather than giving the heading for it, dementia, let's give a talk on health behaviors. Hmm. How can you improve your health behavior and then in the end concluding it, bringing it to dementia and the other risk factors as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, I would definitely respond positively to that talking as a community member because I think a lot of people now are more aware of, you know, the importance of living a healthy lifestyle, the importance and the difference that it can make in your day-to-day let alone your long term and with, again, the specific, you know, illnesses that we've been discussing. So I think, yeah, a lot of people, for, at least from my perspective, would respond quite positively to having it, you know, approached from that angle. And I think as well with sort of talking about a healthy lifestyle as well, you can sort of incorporate a lot of fun themes as well, which I think is really important to engage people because I think that's the other thing that sometimes people shy away from talking about these because um, these topics just because you know they're a bit wary of getting into it but if you can make it a bit more I don't know every day if you will and maybe fun then people are more likely to engage as well I think yeah. you yeah I, I think that I mean as a minority kind of like community both South Asian Afro-Caribbean and all that I mean we are relatively very religious you know as mm-hmm. as a people um and of course it's no surprise that you know there is that you know spiritual and religious mm-hmm. sort of like connotation to you know the cause of of dementia and all that and so to really address it and promote healthy lifestyle i think identifying religious and community leaders you know to mm-hmm. sort of like be you know um ambassadors or something mm, yeah. you know point. will be will be a key way to go because if mm. if i go to church and say my pastor or my imam or mm. you know tells me that okay you know this is kind of like the way to go it's not really about uh, dementia is not really a spiritual thing and it's mm. more about health and lifestyle you know healthy eating you know exercising i will be more leaning to to listen because we hold those people in high esteem, we respect them. So I'll be more leaning to sort of like listen to that advice than, you know, even a professional, you know, sometimes, okay, saying that to me. So I think that that incorporating or getting these people into the equation would really go a long way to getting the message out there and, and 
I so much agree with you. This is so such a valid point. And um, the Im imams, as far as the Muslim communities are concerned, I think the imams play such a big role. Um, and again, I'll go back to Diabetes UK. During Ramadan, they use imams because because what Muslims do is they, 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 they don't have to fast. But during Ramadan, they insist that they will fast and get poorly. So what the Diabetes UK has done is that they have involved imams in. So why not? Why not, with as far as dementia is concerned, as you said, I think it will be so good that it's not, it's not in your head. This is not something you did wrong in your life and you're being punished for it. It's not that. And if, if it comes from the imam, it will make a massive difference. But the important thing is that we need imams which are educated on it as well. So perhaps first going to the first finding imams and then educating them on them, perhaps giving them a course or something, giving them knowledge information about that. Because I'll be very honest with you, I, um, I'm based in Plymouth and I contacted the local mosque over there discussing with them. It was based on mental health issues. I wanted to involve them uh, in it, and I didn't get a response. I, d I tried a few times, but I didn't. So it is, it is also getting to them and then you know, convincing them yeah. is yeah. also a, is a hurdle, yeah. probably a barrier, yeah. probably. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. And I think, like you're saying, it is a hurdle, but it's one that's worth tackling, isn't it? Because you're meeting people where they are. Yeah. You have access to them where they are. Yeah. Um, and it's more authentic as well. Like, you're more likely to, like you've said, listen to a peer or someone you trust over someone else. Yeah, you're more likely to be open to receiving that information, isn't it? And we're all the same. I mean, yeah, you're more likely to listen to people. This, this is the same with whatever product reviews or whatever. You tend to listen to who yeah. you know who's experienced it or used yeah. it, isn't it? More so than an ad that you see on TV or whatever. So. Yeah. Oh, that's very interesting point. Yeah. Um, Marketing hat. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but that is really true that um, from some of the research that we've done, that word of mouth has proved to be more effective than any flyer or any other marketing I've done because um, someone, a person trusts. And especially for the African community, I, it resonates with me what Fariha said about the mosque and about um, our religious leaders, about our pastors. So I think reaching out to these leaders in our community is very, very critical because in the first place, if the pastor doesn't even believe that dementia is a thing, and depending on how the church operates, his job is to pray for people as well. So if it might be tricky, you know, if you are talking, taking his job away, you know, because people now go to the hospital, yeah. but probably um, highlighting that, well, it doesn't, the spiritual element, well, you do have to support people, but then we live in a world where we need to take care of our bodies as well. And therefore, you know, going to the hospital doesn't replace coming to seek spiritual help. That might be a valid way to get in there and then um, get those people on board as well, because I think they are really powerful people in our community. Okay, so from your perspective, Farih, I know you are um, 
a registered dietitian, what do you um, think about the services that are available to um, people from minority ethnic communities? Because some research has shown that a lot of services are not even culturally tailored. So when even when people are brave enough to show up at the hospital, um, some of our healthcare professionals are not very well equipped mm. to even diagnose because dementia might present itself in a different way. And you did mention earlier on that sometimes people leave it for so long before they go to the um, they go to their GP, and then when they do the cognitive test, it's really bad that they are referred to psychiatry mm. instead of um, dementia support services. So, what has been your observation? in that regard. So, Sophia, first thing is that people, first, people don't seek help yet. Those who seek help uh, don't get anywhere because how the screening tools are, how the diagnostic tools are, how the assessment tools are, probably uh, people from the ethnic minority groups completely need different tools. So even if those tools are being used, as you said, that we don't even know how many of people have, perhaps if we're using those tools, there, there are chances that we're still not able to find out if that person has dementia or not. So the importance of tools is extremely important. And here I wanted to point out that um, for South Asians, there is a dementia pathway toolkit has been developed, which is called the ADAPT. I'm, I'm sure you would know about it. And its objective is to offer readily available specialized resources uh, that enable services to offer culturally competent care. So being culturally competent, and, and I was reading another research on it that sometimes, yes, being culturally competent is good, but sometimes you being from the same culture is also very important. Mm. So if a patient come, a South Asian patient comes to me, perhaps they'd be more comfortable, even though my colleague is culturally competent, but probably with me, they will feel more, they will feel more safe and they will share more things with me. So as far as this ADAPT is concerned, they're doing their thing. And then there is uh, this another one, uh, IPSAF, which is Information Program for South Asian Families. And they have made packages which are culturally adapted, and it has been done by the Alzheimer's Society. Again, when I was going through these two, these are fabulous, and these are tools which, you know, um, uh, as far as the assessment is concerned, diagnosis is concerned. But being from the dietetics, and we, when we're talking about the lifestyle side of it, I don't see any diet and nutrition being covered in these. Uh, diet and nutrition with perspective to a South Asian diet. Diet and nutrition with perspective to a Caribbean uh, diet. Or, or, so that is missing, and I think that should be included. Saying that, I worked with um, Alzheimer's Research UK, and we prepared a leaflet, which is called the Diet, Exercise, and Brain Health. It is based. It, it is based around diet, nutrition, lifestyle, exercise. But we've catered to South Asian communities. So when we talk about healthy eating in it, when we talk about diet in it, it talks about South Asian foods. So that we. So when when a South Asian person is reading this, they don't feel isolated. So they know that they're talking about me. So they, these are the few resources, but surely there are so many gaps out there, as I mentioned. And we're all here together as well, brainstorming and all. So we will be working towards them. Yeah, that is incredible knowledge to find and a big hole in the market to fill. Um, highlighting again the need for 
researchers and practitioners who are from our community. So I'm going to bring this conversation back to the table, to the community, that as a community, what can we do? You know, because a lot of times we leave it to policymakers to do something or head of government, but different governments have different priorities. And in the, in the world where there's limited funding for things, as a community, what can we do? As, as individuals who may have, you know, maybe a little bit of information, I mean, we, we, don't, we don't keep it to ourselves. We, we just make sure that, you know, the next neighbor kind of like gets the correct information and that sort of like would be cascaded across the community. So I think we, we don't keep information to ourselves. We make sure that it gets to the right people within the community. Um, as well, I think it's just people who are affected or families affected by this would need you know some support of 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 a, of a sort um, and sympathy really. I mean you know we need to be sympathetic towards them because I think um, yeah stories that I've heard you know people battling with you know it's it's not easy being either a carer or affected person um, yeah. It, it, it comes with you know all sort of challenges, various forms of challenges to different people. So, being sympathetic and if you can offer help or direct or encourage people to seek the required help, um, I think that will be a good a good way first step really as as individuals who have that knowledge within a community. Yeah, definitely, I think there's no one size fits all. From just what we've been discussing, like literally in this, I don't know, limited space. <laughs> That's what I'm realizing is that there's no one size that fits all, but we do have to make a start and we need to start somewhere. So making sure that we engage on things that are more practical as well for people. Like you've been, we've been talking, you've mentioned Fariha about diet and things like that. Things that are really practical and day to day for people, making sure that it's of course tailored to our cultures and things that we actually relate to and use in a day-to-day that I think is really important and just amplifying I think we really need to amplify the message as well um, on all different fronts within the community on social I don't think I excuse me I don't know of I can't actually think of I may be wrong here probably not in touch but I can't actually think of anyone on maybe like social media or an influencer I cannot think of a person in my community or maybe in the Asian community that I can pinpoint to when I think about you know issues relation to relating to dementia um there are professionals I've seen videos things like that but I can't say that I can think of off the top of my head um, such a good point, Nadia. I love yeah. it, what you say. And uh, this takes me to, when you say, what can we do on individual level, this takes me to M's. I was thinking in my mind. So think of two M's. One is the media and one is the myths. Yeah. So two M's with myths on individual, it, it's not easy, but on everyone, on yeah. their uh, perspective, on their level, Start, you know, let's let's detangle these myths. Let's talk about it more. Let's discuss it with more. Perhaps I sit down and talk this, talk about it with my mom, my sister, 
do you know what it is or watch a film on it or watch something and as far as social media is concerned i think this is so true and so much can be we did this uh, we did this uh, focus group discussion and in this most of the most of the participants said that they don't want they don't want to read now yeah they they want to flick through so <laughs> someone you know they just want yeah they just want to watch so perhaps you're so right someone on community level me you we start making tiktoks you know yeah. short yeah. tiktoks telling them about you know the myths around dementia or what is dementia to start off with yeah. you know so I, I love what I love your point yeah. you're so right I think yeah. Nadia's point has really hit home because when i think about um celebrities or people who have been diagnosed with Alzheimer's coming out to talk or someone has written a book or someone has come to share their dementia story. I haven't seen any African or Caribbean could it, person. Could it, could it be, I mean, like I mentioned earlier, um, the stats around this within our community mm. is never correct because yeah. it's a family secret. Yeah. Okay. So there may be influential people Mm -hmm. experiencing this within our community but because of the knowledge of you know the stigma that yeah. is associated yeah. with them I mean they wouldn't really come out yeah. but it just takes you know someone being that selfless to just say hey I know this is within my this is the taboo but you know mm. I will talk about it or someone just take you know just talking about it not necessarily with lived experience but really yeah, yeah. talking about it yeah. It's an incredible point. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and, and I think what well, sorry, just to just add one more point. It doesn't even have to be a celebrity, right? Like exactly. we live in the age of a micro micro influencers. It's yeah. just like you I think Theo you mentioned it has to be a personal responsibility. Mm -hmm. That's what we have to realise. We can't leave it to other people to do it for us. It has to be a personal responsibility. So your reach, your community, even if it's just, I don't know, 10 people, that is how we amplify it as well, isn't it? So we don't have to wait for celebrities, but that does help. Yeah. <laughs> Much better, quicker. But yeah, we no, you're have right, personal yeah. responsibility as well, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So would you think, in your opinion, that uh, uh, a national campaign, for example, that people from our community lead might be very effective. I mean, if not causing any change at all, but starting us, um, starting the conversation. Because I think where we are now, um, we, we, need, we just need to start with conversations, little bits of conversations, rings of conversations that grow, um, rather than huge humongous things. And of course, having representation in dementia research for us is important. Having representation in um, people who are practitioners so that they can, when someone is coming to you for advice or coming from the African community is coming for a, a diagnosis, they are, they are feeling more comfortable. Yeah. They are feeling more understood. Um, because we know how it is. And then if someone has to open up and say, actually, I have... Because for us, a lot of diseases, not just dementia, a lot of conditions, are, we, are, we are meant to be healthy all the time. Mm -hmm. And if you are not healthy due to one or two reasons, then there's something wrong. So feeling that comfortable to be able to share things is important. But then it highlights the need for healthcare representation from our community in the healthcare professions as well so that people um, 
feel comfortable to reach out for help. Now, I think we've talked about my last point, which is how do we reach people? We've talked about social media. How else can we reach people? Social media has taken over. I can only think of social media. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean we, we spoke earlier also about kind of like getting, you know, the community leaders. Yeah. But And then we also spoke about, you know, um, using taking it as a personal responsibility, reaching out to our own small networks. Um, yeah, but I, I, I don't know. I was just thinking about, you know, I don't know whether... Um, imams, you know, pastors and all those people, whether they have some sort of training, not necessarily for dementia, but for some of these things, because people would go to them instead of going to hospital anyway. Um, do they have some sort of training just to be able to signpost people to right places in addition to maybe praying for them or, you know, you know, do they have that training? And if, if there is none, then I think, you know, maybe a policy to sort of like getting something like that in place. If it is mandatory that, you know, every imam, for example, needs to um, undergo a day of maybe course on diabetes so that when it's time for um, Ramadan, you know, they will be able to talk to their congregation about maybe taking food, especially if you are, you know, you have a predisposition to, you know, diabetes and, and so on and so forth. I mean, if we can do something like that within dementia, I think that would go a really long way. I would like to further take your point. I really like this point, and it's, it's taking me to the point about community ambassadors. Yeah. Like you're talking about imams, similar thing can be done with community, creating community ambassadors. Again, I'll come back to one of my um, projects which I did with Alzheimer's Research UK. And in that, what I did was I recorded a video uh, about um, healthy eating and lifestyle and about talking about dementia and the risk factors. I made a small video um, to train community uh, uh, leaders throughout the country. And now they're showing that video to those people. And then further, they will disseminate that information further to their communities. Mm -hmm. And this is, a, this is sort of a web which can be formed. So imams, but also community leaders and community members and community centers and all. So like, just like we have mother-toddler group, mm -hmm. uh, someone makes some other sort of group in community centers and get together and talk about these things. And then personal experiences as well. Yeah. And I think probably our GPs, yeah. you know, um, even GPs from the um, black community or GPs from the Salvation community probably have a network. So professional networks, I mean, radiographers oh, who yes. have um, professional networks, physiotherapists, you know, who have yes. professional networks. So because even getting physio or mm. when someone has vascular dementia, mm. you know, the treatment process, all of those things we can get um, our health professionals some, some training, yeah. you know, to have some awareness. Yeah. Because some, sometimes, for example, cancer might be picked up during a different appointment rather than your GP appointment. Mm. So if they have the awareness that, oh, wait a minute, dementia might present itself in a different form in this my patient who is from the African or South Asian community, yeah. they may be more aware to the signs and symptoms and maybe proactive in, you know, diagnosis or signposting people. And I think coming back to um, our religious leaders, I mean, they might have some safeguarding training, 
you know, to refer people in if they have severe um, things around depression and suicidal thoughts. So it could be something that we need to um, advocate for, yes. to be included for training in anybody in our community who comes uh, in touch with people generally. It could be social workers. It could be, you know, people who are in working in the community as well to... Um, to support <laughs> in diagnosis and prevention. Um, so just looking at the time we have now, I was wondering, any final words? This has to be impactful final thoughts. <laughs> no pressure at all. <laughs> but if there's one thing you'd like us to take from this conversation, what would that be? For me, I think each one of us should take that responsibility now. It's about time. For those of us who know about it, we should take charge, not waiting for, you know, uh, the government or, you know, other people to do things. As, as you also mentioned, that we need, you know, all I could say is that let's take charge and let's take responsibility. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I know, I mean, I would say that, I mean, um, all kind of like um, governments or people in authority do have, you know, their priorities. But of course, in as much as, you know, they do have their priorities, anything that has to do with healthcare is, you know, is, yeah, should be prioritized. Um, and yeah, my, I'm just kind of like using this opportunity to say to people in those um, capacity to really consider prioritizing things that have to do with dementia and anything mental health, uh, because it's, yeah, the, the impact on families is really dire, it's mm. severe. Um, it's, yeah, I, yeah I, I really don't have the words to use to describe them. So just so they prioritize, you know, such um, activities and if possible, um, explore or um, apportion, you know, um, protected funding towards um, uh, research um, and activities relating to that. Thank you so much, Theo. Well, Nadia. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think just from talking today, talking about it today, I think I've realised personally I need to explore and learn more. Like, I had no clue about vascular dementia and the fact that that's even a massive impact for our communities and things like that. So I think, yeah, that's what I've taken from this is it's so important that we are aware of it, that we explore more, that we dig dig into it a bit more. There's no point, like you were saying, Fariha, leaving it to someone else, but it's just making sure that we're engaged. And, yeah, don't keep it to yourself, isn't it, is what I've learned as well. Um, Sorry, I want to... Uh, I, something yeah. came in my head now. <laughs> you know, I think we really need to give importance to this condition because mm. this condition... Again, I was someone was telling me that when someone has got cancer... When cancer, you know, uh, at least they're aware of it. They know what to do with it, you know. Okay, this is how I can manage it. Yeah. But when we think about a dementia, a person loses sense of his own self. Mm. And how, how debilitating can that be? Uh, so with that realization, we must take that as a responsibility and disseminate information. Well... Thank you all so much. You've made this discussion really, really exciting. It wasn't boring at all. I think it was very interesting, and we had lots of um, valuable messages to send 
to our community, to our community leaders, to policy makers, to researchers as well, because as you said, if we don't have accurate data, we can't even bring our, our policy arguments or advocate for policies when we don't have accurate you know, numbers to describe the impact of this condition on our community. And just summing up what we talked about, I think my biggest takeaway is the fact that for us as Asian, South Asians and Africans or and Caribbeans as well, when we have an individual member of our family who is not well, the responsibility of caring for that family person lies really high on the shoulders of the family. It impacts us socioeconomically because we can't go out to work. We have primary responsibility for that. It results in a lot of um, conflict in the families as well and the breakdown of our, you know, our society as a result of that. So it's not just a health condition that impacts just our health, but it impacts our community togetherness. So it is critical that we try and do something about it and also encourage other friends and family, other people we know in our network, aside policymakers, to also take action and probably encourage our community to get involved in research as well so that different policies will be um, relatable to us. So thank you all so much for your time and it has been a lovely discussion and hopefully we'll see you again sometime soon. Thank you. Thank you.